matter. So today in American Conversations, we're honored to have Randy Thompson, who is the CEO, president, and co-founder of Kids Save. Randy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. So uh, everything is, uh, if it's not COVID, it's Russia, Ukraine, and it's a tragic story. And it's affecting um, millions of people, especially the children. Tell us about your organization, first of all, so we can get some background before we sure. jump to your work in Ukraine. Great. Kids Save is a child advocacy organization. We've been working for 23 years, um, primarily with older kids, to try to move them out of institutions or out of foster care and into permanent family relationships. It's all about the kids that people are not thinking about, trying to give them a voice, some light on them to let people meet them as people. And when they do, we found that they're my, much more likely to open their homes and their hearts to them. So that was really our focus is advocacy for kids that weren't really being considered for permanent family care and who couldn't go back to their own biological families. How did you get involved doing some work in Ukraine? Because it's not just here in the United States. You're doing this all over the world. Right. In Ukraine, we started working in 2016 with um, an extension of our family visit model, which is, again, bringing kids back in the community where people can meet them. So we had a program and, and still have a program for corporate mentoring for kids who are soon to exit or just exiting orphanages to give them a mentor, to give them job training, to help them to get their start as adults. Um, since 2018, we were working in Ukraine um, moving in a pilot to place children who are living in orphanages with Ukrainian families. And that pilot finished in December of 2021. We were just getting ready to expand to six new regions in Ukraine because it had been so successful. We were able to move half the kids in institutions into family care and another 30% who had mentors. So it's a big difference for kids who had no one they could count on. And then February 24th happened. Hmm. Right. And Todd was there. So he actually witnessed the exodus of people leaving the country. Um, yeah. So tell us what tell us what you're learning from your team that's on the ground in Ukraine. And I understand it is close to 9000 of the children that you have moved to. So it's it's children and families. Yeah. Children and families. Um, we. Uh, we were based in um, two little-known cities, Mykolaiv and Kherson. <laughs> People hadn't really heard of them before Until the war. Now. When you'd say to them, yeah. you know, they say, "Where is that?" And um, so, because we were there we were able to move really quickly. And the people that we were working with who were dedicated child welfare people really sprang into action right away. So we started in those two uh, regions and began immediately moving kids in these family-style orphanages and foster care out to safety. We've, we first moved into villages and then we found that, you know, the villages in Mykolaiv certainly were not, um, were not safe. So we began moving people over the border and for orphanages and kids that are, are living in orphanages, we've moved them farther west in Ukraine. It's, it's often um, mm -hmm. difficult to move them out of Ukraine. And also the ministry sometimes would prefer that they stay there so they can keep the whole orphanage group together. So what we're seeing, um, you know, because, uh, again, we spent so much time in the hardest <clears throat> hit areas really quickly, um, you know, you're seeing horrible atrocities, of course, that are taking place. And, you know, people that were coming to rescue sometimes have been sitting 
underground in a basement for you know two weeks with almost no food and water by the time we're able to get to them. Others are you know doing better off and you know people don't really want to leave. They love Ukraine. I mean Todd's been there. He knows that you know mm -hmm. it's it's very it's a, um, people are very patriotic, very um, loving of their country, and so it's a really difficult decision for people to make to leave. And so sometimes they wait too long. Um, and, you know, they're not going until the missile goes off in their backyard. Um, so often our people are having to go in, you know, with really dangerous conditions by the time people are ready to leave, you know, because if, yeah. if, they're, if it's not dangerous, they think, why, why would I want to leave? You know, nobody really wants to be a refugee. I mean, being a refugee is tough. And so people are, are staying as long as they possibly can. And, and then it's, you know, how quickly can you get them out, you know, because the Russians are invading this area. Let me ask you, who, who do you get help from in country? Are the oligarchs helping like Kolomoisky, Akhmetov, some of those people? Or is it more the government or is it NGOs or is, where is it coming from? Um, we have a we have a small team. Our team actually started with three people mm -hmm. um, when they first started rescuing. We now have about a hundred people in country who are working. We're we're working out of a transit center in Venezia, uh, mm -hmm. where sort of they converged with the various convoys. We have five different convoys of a combination of purchased buses and cargo mm -hmm. vans and um, rented and donated vehicles that go in in five different areas and they'll go to whatever area we get requests from um, to evacuate. We, you know, we're working with the regional authorities, mm -hmm. but in terms of financial support, our financial support has really come from US donors. Um, and these, and these people in country, are they American or are they Ukrainian? Or no, our entire team is Ukrainian. Our I entire think. team is Ukrainian. We have a, a quite a few uh, volunteers on the Polish side. Mm -hmm. Some of them are American, some of them are Polish, but um, our entire team is Ukrainian. And that's the way they want to keep it there. They know that if we, as many Americans who want to go in and help, uh, sometimes that endangers a mission. You know, they're mm -hmm. really careful to keep it to an all Ukrainian team. Mm -hmm. And our team is, you know, these are regular people who stepped up. Um, we've got a combination of, you know, cement truck drivers and clergy mm -hmm. and lawyers and child welfare people and just, you know, people who were in, I think most of the people that are on our team came from the Mykolaiv region mm -hmm. because that's where our key leaders were based. But, you know, they picked up people along the way. Sometimes people just ride a couple of rescue um, routes with us and then they go over the border. But, you know, the core team operates out of Venezia. Yeah, I was just in Venezia. Are you? Are your people, um, so they're mostly doing exfiltrations. They're going in yes. and picking yes. people well, up. They're, they're doing exfiltrations. They're also, um, when they go to, they, they go to every border, you know, whatever mm -hmm. border is, um, mm -hmm fastest and also they're going to borders where uh, if people have made arrangements they get to you know sort of right. choose which bus they get on when they are in transit mm -hmm. and if they don't have anybody then we're working with them to set them up with other NGOs that are in, in these bordering cities um, but the the folks who I, I forgot your question I'm sorry no I was just asking you know well, where, how, what they were doing and, and oh yeah, they so they're uh, yeah. thank you. So when they go to the border, then they stop and they pick up um, humanitarian aid. They mm -hmm. pick up medical supplies. We we try to raise those. We try to get them donated. Now we're buying mm -hmm. um, as we've had to. We're we're 
sourcing medical mm -hmm. things, we're sourcing insulin, things that they're taking back into the region, and then they work with the local regional authorities, uh, bring them to those places as they go back to get more people out. So it's kind of like your bus is never empty. You're you're going out with people, gotcha. you're coming back with aid, going you know back and forth. Well, I should connect you with some people there. We can talk. That's awful. great. Yeah. That's great. The pictures that you sent us, Randy. Some mm -hmm. of some of these kids are toddlers. Well, the yeah, of course. Um, we rescued uh, ten orphanages from Mikolaev, and of course, there were baby homes in there. So mm -hmm. those we had um, one baby home in Mikolaev that had 106 kids in it. So that's where you saw the little tiny, not just toddlers, but baby infants and infants too. Yes, and you know we we we're strapping them in in their in their seats because you're trying to get them out as quickly as you can. It took us. Uh, a bit of time in Mikolaev to get the orphanage directors to agree to go. They're naturally reticent to leave. You know, they've got their supplies, they've got their um, support systems. And so um, by the time we got, I think those pictures that you were seeing, it was really time for them to leave. They needed to get out quickly because Mikolaev was, as you know, almost destroyed um, and mm -hmm. particularly very close to where the orphanage was. So we mm -hmm. were really glad to be able to get them when we got them. But it it, sometimes it takes some, you know, negotiation. The governor gives the approval, and then um, they make a recommendation. But the orphanage director really gets to choose. In in the cases of the Mikolaev kids, we were able to take them to a location that we found inside of Ukraine, and um, they're being supported there. Um, some of the children um, get invitations from other countries and that's you know government to government deciding where they go we don't make those decisions you know we're there to get them out we will support mm. them if they need to be supported we you know we need to find out what special needs they have so we can make sure that the transportation vehicles can equip those needs mm. how, how much uh, trafficking have you heard about this going on? You know, I've heard it's a huge concern, Christine. Um, obviously, uh, that's why the government of Ukraine is so concerned about keeping the children together in their orphanages. Um, you know, the family group homes, they're all going over the borders together, so they have parents with them. Uh, but they're very worried about children deprived of parental care. And they are, they've, they've uh, suspended obviously international adoption at this point because the country's under martial law and they can't do the procedures that they would normally do. Um, and they, so they are really concerned about keeping groups together to make sure that that's not happening. Also because the vast majority of children in Ukraine who are living in institutions do not have that legal status of orphan that you talked about. And many of them, most of them have living parents. And so there's the goal when this is all over to get those children back to those living parents or relatives if they can, or then to make them available for Ukrainian families to raise them. And as a last resort, of course, then to make them available for international adoption. So let's, I can, I can hear the questions of people watching this tape right now saying, you know, so I want some more information from Randy about explaining the system that is set up for children who are put, who are institutionalized, who are not with their parents at this point in time, even before uh, February 24th. Right. Um, well, the system, you know, the system is a, an old um, Soviet Union system, essentially, um, that is set up with institutions that take care of children. Sometimes they're caring for them because they're orphans or because their families 
were deprived of their rights, you know, that right. they uh, were determined not to be fit parents. But many, many children are in those institutions because their families uh, live in poverty or they live in small villages and they don't have the ability to get them the education. Uh, the government of Ukraine um, was working to try to change that system um, and move more of the funding for child welfare to the to the community organizations, to the Hermanas. And uh, that then they would, uh, there was a potential and the goal was to get more of those children moved out of institutional care and into family-based care or to support their biological families or their relatives to be able to raise them. That's sort of the goal. And in fact, um, there were 106,000 kids that were um, in the system in Ukraine uh, pre-COVID, and many of those children were sent back to their villages during COVID because the institutions had such problem with the, you know, the proximity of kids. So most recently, the, um, the Minister of um, Social Policy said there are about 70,000 kids um, that are registered with, um, you know, as children deprived of parental care in Ukraine right now. And about 14,500 of them, I think, are living either in those family-style orphanages or in foster families, much more prevalent to live in those um, those family-style orphanages than foster care is sort of a, a new and not as um, used system as the family orphanages. So overall, how many, I mean, how many orphans are there across the country in Ukraine that are in these institutions? Um, that's, that is a number that we're still trying to get. Um, as I said, it was, we were uh, the, the, um, ombudsman for Ukraine, uh, around 2018 had said there were 106,000 kids and only 6,000 of them were available for adoption. I think most recently the minister of social policy has reduced that number to about 70,000 because they are working very hard to move children back two families. That's, this has, of course, all been disrupted since the war. Absolutely. It, it was something that Kitsay was involved in. We were part of a, a group that was, you know, working to deinstitutionalize, to get kids out of these things and into families. And that's why we were there. Uh, now, ironically, you know, we're trying to keep orphanage groups together when we move them because of, as you said, trafficking, making sure that the children's rights are protected and the family's rights are protected if and when this horrible conflict is over. How are the children doing? How are they um, you know, well, I, I think that um, they are with their, they're with their caregivers. You know, the children that we rescued in Nikolaev are, uh, you know, I think the sense of normalcy that they get from staying together is really helping them. Uh, the children who are being rescued from villages um, they're, they're at least facing fear with family. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. they have, you see the pictures of, you know, kids hanging onto their mom's hand as they're leaving. And, and that's really, really comforting for children. And they, um, they've seen a lot of terrible things, but when we see them at the rescue center, when they, we see them even on the buses, um, you know, the resilience of children is amazing, but we do have a generation of children in Ukraine that are going to grow up with trauma. 
And I think that's something that my organization certainly is concerned about. And I know many child welfare and child advocacy organizations are looking at what's the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, um, first, you've got the kids who are facing fear without family, and those have always been our priority. We know that that makes everything more difficult. But um, but for children all over Ukraine, you know, it's you're growing up suddenly, you you walk into your town and you're seeing bodies strewn. You know, that's that's an image that isn't going to go away quickly. Children who've seen old people sitting on a bench and the next time they turn around, that person doesn't have their head. And, you know, how does a child move from that? So I think that that's going to be a really important thing that um, organizations will do. I know we're looking at how do you get trauma-based therapy in first get the Ukrainian um, therapist trained in that. And then how do you get that to people? I mean, right now they're just trying to make kids feel safe. That's the priority. Survive, survive, feel safe. Um, The orphanage kids keep them together in their, in their units so that you can stop, you know, eliminate the, reduce the possibility of trafficking and also just make them feel like life is sort of the same and they have their same caregivers with them. When, when an orphanage is evacuated, the caregivers must go with the mm-hmm. orphanage um, so that you're not just sending them someplace else with new caregivers, because that would be really traumatic as well. I remember in uh, during the Rwanda genocide, I, it never crossed my mind, even though I used to go there for guerrilla treks, but uh, there was only one psychiatrist that was in the yeah. country. And I, and I thought, because because that trauma, you know, coming out of war is always an issue for people. And I was very surprised by that. And I know in the Balkans that when they brought the children together and they gave them the art classes, uh, I just happened to be at the World Bank one day and somebody had just returned and they had all the art that they had collected for the children. Sure. I looked at uh, one of the I looked at the top guy at the World Bank and I said, this needs to be in the lobby. People need to see the children's art. So you might want to consider. I mean, do, do they have art supplies where they are now? Um, yeah, they they will have art supplies. And we're, in fact, um, we're getting ready to um, provide the kids with something for their Orthodox Easter. You know, mm-hmm. the, that's the biggest holiday in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're um, providing them with the, the wooden eggs and the painting kits so they can do that. I mean, that's a creative expression. It's not the same thing you're talking about, which I think is what are they depicting in terms of life right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that... I don't know that that's happening, but it's certainly something that we could do at our, our rescue center. So, so tell us what you need, Randy. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-family, pro-children. So t- tell us how we can help you. And we're, first of all, what's the website? Ah, uh, www.kidsave.org. And if you want to specifically go to Ukraine, it's kidsave.org forward slash stand with Ukraine. That's got a lot of the stories about what we're doing. It's got a lot of the information about how people can help. Um, the big thing, obviously, that is needed is money. I mean, it's costing us $2,500 a day just for gas. I mean, just to run the fuel for the convoys, it's, it's expensive. Um, you know, we are looking for um, humanitarian aid donations. But if it's people coming from the United States, unless they, if somebody's got a, a nice Gulf Stream that they can put insulin supplies on or things like that, I mean, we need to be able to transport things to Ukraine that we can't get in Ukraine. We are really trying to source as much as we can um, from Poland or other or other border countries because it's so much less expensive. But we're having to buy things here in the United States like protective gear and you know binoculars, things to get through the uh, the checkpoints. And you know, we're retrofitting vehicles. We bought 
you know, 17 vehicles that, you know, so we, you know, it's constant need of money. We're spending um, a lot on food and supplies to get into our group. So anything that people are willing to, to donate and if they, if they want to send things, then they need to be able to, we have a place to get them to, but they need to be able to, you know, pay for shipping because shipping is so expensive. Is the uh, diaspora helping you at all? Uh, Ukrainians outside? Uh, we we do have some amazing people that are helping us um, mm -hmm. from outside. We've got a tech group up in in San Francisco. We've we've been looking at Friends of Ukraine. Um, we've got mm -hmm. you know a group with Battalion. There there are people outside that are really trying to figure out how to get money and supplies. We have um, some there's some folks at Amazon um, who are Ukrainian um, citizens who are are now here in the U.S. and they've been amazing trying to really reach out and figure out how to connect us to people and supplies. Because, you know, when you're, you're suddenly saying, I have 400 children in Mykolaiv who need insulin. How do I get that? You know, how do I get it on a refrigerated? So, you know, money is, is the key because if you have money, you can pay for those things, but, uh, but connections to people who have connections to those things are really important too. Do you have any idea that when they passed that bill on Capitol Hill, and I know that the, about six, I think the, the, the number was $18, million, $18 billion, uh, and six of it is supposed to go to American corporations who are going to rebuild Ukraine. The other part is for humanitarian. Do you know how that money is going to be doled out? Well, I think there, you know, there are a lot of organizations that are... Um, you know, supply distributors, and they're getting money from USAID. Um, you know, we're a small organization. You know, prior to the Ukraine, our budget was $3 million worldwide. And we had programs in Colombia, Ukraine, uh, formerly in Russia, but not since 16, you know, big programs in the United States to place kids. So we're, you know, by the time for us getting into, you know, it's going to mostly the umbrella organizations that you know, we'll then dole it out because it's too hard for USAID to do it to the small guys like us. So, which um, is always tragic to me because we saw that happen all the time down in Haiti. Um, yeah, that when when Haiti people on the ground that are doing the work sometimes aren't getting that funding. It's very it it's hard. It's irritating. It it's but it's also it's a lot of fraud because you have the the, the big you know public private. I don't want to call them charities because they're not really because they don't do the charity work, but it's the ones that are on the ground that need the support more than any of the big organizations. Yeah. And, and I think that's why um, we've been um, successful in, in getting, you know, many of our supporters who already knew us for our work um, were, you know, stepped up and helped us initially. And, you know, when people are seeing, that's what people are telling us that they know that they can tell that what's their money is going to, it's actually going to help people and that it's not getting caught in the the large organizations and i'm not saying the large organizations are not doing great things we pick things up at the border from a lot of those large organizations that had humanitarian aid initially what we're finding though is that there's less of it available and we're having to try to source it through purchasing now than we did in the very beginning you know there's that you know the war's gone on a while and people are not as they're, I can't. I'm not saying they're not concerned, but they're they're not focusing on it quite as much for those that it's not hitting home to. So we are seeing donations go are down, um, and yet the need is going up because we're now having to purchase more humanitarian aid and things like that. And we're feeding about six thousand people a day. So that's you know just the people that we're going back into with the regions that gets really costly. 
And, you know, we're also, if, if you know anybody that has um, ready-to-eat meals that they want to donate, that's a big need right now because many of the people that are stuck or unable or not yet willing to leave have had their electricity taken away and they've had, they don't have any water, so they need those kind of meals. So, you know, anything like that that we can get is really appreciated. Do you have a list of your needs on your website? Um, I, I, you know, we have some basic needs, but I have a, a list. You're right. We should put that because we're, we're trying to source like three tons of sugar. And, you know, I, I will put that on. We've got a, we have a, sh a short list of 14 items that are all the long life things, all the canned goods, all the, um, you know, flour, pastas, you know, in very, very large quantities. Because what our volunteers do is after they get those large quantities, they then bring them and, you know, they put them into smaller packages and then bring them out to the regions. Well, if you put that list up and also email it to us, I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it to my buddies at the Young Presidents Organization. Oh, that's great. And ask them to, to through their network to get you what you need. So include on that your contact information. I will. And I'll also because put that, the that and some of the medical things that we need. Yeah. I mean, people have to get specific uh, about this because, you know, it may be that somebody has a, you know, a warehouse full of canned goods, you know? Right. And those canned goods would keep people alive for days and weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will send that to Brandy you. Thompson, you know, anything else you want to, you want us to know the audience to know? Um, you know, Ukraine is a, a country that was really trying to make changes for its children, and um, we we saw a real potential in the fact that the Ukrainian citizens really wanted to take these kids. So I think that you know what I want people to know is that when this is over, we're all going to have a lot of responsibility to, do to help them to be able to do that and to heal the heal the people and help to create families for the children that don't have them. It's going to be a big hurdle to rebuild that country. It is, but you know, um, Todd can tell you these people have uh, great grit. You know, great grit. They really, um, they're passionate. And if it, just looking at our people on the ground, um, they're they're fierce. So they know they, they I, know how to survive. They, they know how to survive. They do. Yeah. They've had to survive under bad conditions before. Mm -hmm. You know, they've had to survive under Russian bad conditions before. Mm -hmm. And so they they do know how to survive. And I think that they're worth the investment in helping them to rebuild and to keep helping them to try to fight this aggressor. Randy Thompson, thank you. Kids Save. Thank you so much. Is it kidssave.org? Kidssave.org. Kidssave.org. All right. Get us the list. And, and Thank we'll you so much. Thank, Thank you, you for having me, Christine and Todd.